quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Winter is coming with another COVID wave. The lead starts right now. A first in the nation as COVID cases surge again, the new vaccine requirement for just about anyone who works in the Big Apple. The parents of the accused Michigan school shooter now on suicide watch as they face rare charges related to the massacre. The Michigan Attorney General will join us live to discuss. Plus, with the U.S. fearing Russia is getting ready to run over Ukraine, a critical phone call is about to happen between President Biden and Vladimir Putin. Can the U.S. president get Putin to stand down? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper. And we begin with the health lead and the sweeping new vaccine requirement for nearly everyone who works in New York City. Today, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced all private sector employers will be required to implement a vaccine mandate by the end of this month, just as COVID cases, hospitalizations and deaths are at their highest levels nationwide in six weeks. So far, 17 states have identified cases of the Omicron variant. And while more cases are expected, Delta remains the dominant strain by far in the U.S. As Jason Carroll reports, Dr. Anthony Fauci says there are encouraging signs that Omicron may not be as severe as first feared. New York City's mayor has made it official. Anyone working in the city will be subject to a vaccine mandate. The mayor announcing all private sector employees must be vaccinated by December 27th. Public city employees have been under a vaccine mandate since October. We got to up the ante here. We've got to encourage people even more. Get that second dose because that's what gives you so much more protection. And while some business organizations say they were caught off guard by the announcement, some medical experts support the new mandate. But it is a smart public health move. I think we should uh, have we should set the right expectations about what the purpose of these vaccine mandates are. In addition, beginning December 14th, children in New York City ages 5 to 11 will be required to show proof of at least one shot before being allowed inside restaurants, gyms, or entertainment venues. Also today, new nationwide restrictions are in place for international airline passengers arriving to the United States. Those travelers must test negative for COVID within 24 hours of departure. No test means passengers will be banned from their flight. Until now, international travelers heading to the U.S. had three days before their flight to show a negative test. Meanwhile, the Omicron variant spreads quickly, although emerging evidence showing at this point it may not be as severe as the Delta variant, which continues to drive a surge in hospitalizations in the U.S. We really got to be careful before we make any determinations that it is less severe or really doesn't cause any severe illness comparable to Delta. But thus far, the signals are a bit encouraging regarding the severity. Nationwide, cases of coronavirus are rising. For the first time in two months, the U.S. this weekend averaged more than 100,000 new COVID-19 cases per day. 
But an encouraging development on the booster front. A new unpublished study has found using the J&J vaccine as a booster for people initially immunized with the Pfizer vaccine produced a strong immune response with patients. This comes as CDC data show the pace of vaccinations is rising, with an average of more than 2.2 million doses being administered daily. It's encouraging. We still have tens of millions of people who've chosen not to vaccinate themselves or their children in this country. And Dana, as for the New York City mandate, just like with public employees, there will not be a testing option for private sector employees either. And that means that the uh, mandate will also, we should tell you that that mandate will also apply to businesses where more than one person is employed. So that's a lot of people out there. It sure is. Jason Carroll, thank you so much for that report. And let's discuss all of this with Dr. Ajit Shah, the dean of Brown University School of Public Health. Dr. Shah, thank you so much for Joining me, so some New York business leaders say that they were caught off guard by de Blasio's vaccine mandate that you just heard about. And one said that employers don't want to be enforcement agents. Are we at the point of the pandemic where this really is necessary? Yeah, Dana, first of all, thanks for having me back. Um, we're at the point in the pandemic, I think we're all just exhausted and we need this thing to come to an end. And the way it is going to come to an end is if most Americans end up getting vaccinated. So. Um, I fully understand what the mayor of New York is doing. It's obviously on the aggressive side of policy, uh, but this is going to be an important uh, piece of evidence. I think if we can really drive vaccination numbers into the 90s in New York City, uh, we will see what the benefits are. But all the all the data we have suggests it's going to make a big difference. Let's talk about the Omicron variant. Dr. Anthony Fauci told my colleague Jake Tapper that early data on the Omicron's disease severity are, quote, a bit encouraging. But he also says it's too early to say whether it causes less severe disease than the Delta variant. How do you interpret the early data? Yeah, similarly to Dr. Fauci. And, you know, one of the things I always remind myself, if there's something I really desperately want to believe, I try to be a little bit more careful. Mm. I really want to believe that this is going to turn out to be a mild variant. We have to be careful. Uh, The early data does suggest it. But most of the cases we've so far seen have been, at least outside of South Africa, in people who have been vaccinated. We expect them to have mild disease. In South Africa, I think a lot of people recently got infected with Delta and have recovered. We expect them to have milder disease. We don't know how it's playing out in the unvaccinated. Uh, So a lot more to learn, I think, in the weeks ahead. So if Omicron is as mild as Dr. Fauci suggests, as you think may be the case, Should the travel restrictions on several African countries be lifted? Yeah, I think the travel restrictions should probably be lifted at this point anyway, because the disease is out. I mean, it's in our country. It's it's global. It's in every continent. Um, I think we should be using other tools such as testing and vaccination requirements for travelers. That makes more sense. Um, Even if it turns out to be mild, it's still going to be a problem if a large number of people get end up getting infected. But I don't think that should justify the travel restrictions at this point. So you said that you do support testing, obviously, vaccines, but also testing. As you know, today there is a new one-day testing requirement for international travelers who are coming to the United States, either back in or coming uh, from who live in other countries. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it'll help. Um, I think it'll help. Part of the problem in the past when you had a three-day requirement, obviously, you could have gotten tested three days po- uh, before, turned positive. Uh, this is going to make it tighter. It's also going to make it a little harder for travelers to get it done. Uh, but I think anything we can do to narrow that time window, 
uh, lowers the risk that people who are infected are going to come into the country. And do you feel comfortable with antigen tests in this situation as much as PCR tests? I do. I do. And antigen tests are actually quite good at picking up people who are contagious. Uh, I think that's what we want. I would love to see some sort of a test on arrival for antigens. I know that that's going to be logistically hard. There are other ways we can do this. Antigen tests are really quite good and they give you quick results. Uh, There's some real advantages to that. Moderna's CEO told CNN yesterday that they're going to have answers about whether its vaccine works against the Omicron variant. Uh, They'll have those uh, data over the next seven to 10 days. Until that happens, what should people with the Moderna vaccine or, frankly, other vaccines be doing? Yeah, so I I think we'll have more data from Moderna, Pfizer and J&J, ideally in that seven to 10 days. We'll have laboratory evidence, which is not definitive, but but very, very helpful. Um, At this point, my expectation is we're going to see a hit to vaccine efficacy, Mm -hmm. but not a complete wiping out of vaccine efficacy. And what I expect is all the vaccines. If you're especially if you're fully boosted, is going to give you a, a good degree of protection. So what people should do is make sure they go out and get their booster and be ready for the Omicron variant when it becomes more common here in the U.S. Before I let you go, there is a new preprint study, which means it hasn't been peer reviewed yet. But that study finds people who got Pfizer and then got J&J as a booster are producing a strong immune response and maybe better protected against more severe disease. So what do you think? hearing that is the best course of action? Should people who haven't gotten their boosters yet intentionally mix the vaccines? Yeah, it's a great question. We've now got several studies on mixing and matching. I would make two key points. One is we often have this idea that somehow one vaccine is better than another. J&J vaccines are actually absolutely terrific. And they are absolutely, I think, as good as the mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer. And if you want to use it as a booster, great. Second, most of the evidence suggests it probably doesn't matter which booster you get. It's really important you get a booster. If you want to mix and match, great. If you want to stick with the original, I think that's fine, too. Okay, Dr. Ajit Shah, thank you as always for giving us your uh, expertise and insights. Appreciate it. Thank you. And the suspected school shooter's parents are now in the same jail as their son. We'll talk to the Michigan Attorney General next. Plus, fears of our democracy in peril are growing with election skeptics put in charge of the elections. In the national lead, funerals are set for this week for four students murdered in last week's school shootings in Michigan. While the parents of the teen charged in the killings are now on suicide watch, locked up in the same jail as their son. As CNN's Adrian Broadus reports, their arrest comes after an extensive manhunt that could result in even more charges. Not guilty. Not guilty. Today, Jennifer and James Crumbly now sit in the same jail as their son, Ethan, all under close observation. The parents were arrested early Saturday morning, found in a warehouse in nearby Detroit, hours after they were charged with four counts each of involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors saying the Crumblies were making preparations to flee during the time they evaded capture. They withdrew uh, $4,000 from an ATM in Rochester Hills. They fled. And they, they sought multiple attempts to hide their location and were eventually tracked down. And these two individuals were found locked somewhere in a room hiding. These are not people that we can be assured will return to court um, on their own. 
Still, no word on whether a third person, the man who allowed the couple to get into the warehouse, will face potential charges. Clearly somebody helped them into that location and made it available to them. And it was after it was publicly announced that there were warrants for them. Both Jennifer and James Crumbly have pleaded not guilty to the charges, and their attorney took issue with the timeline of events laid out during their arraignment. The facts that, are, that have been presented by Ms. McDonald and her office have been cherry-picked to further her narrative of making an example of Mr. and Mrs. Crumbly. None of this should have happened. A 15-and-a-half-year-old should not be sitting in jail facing life in prison. Um, these children who were terrorized and killed and shot, none of it should have happened, and it could have been prevented. The prosecutor is still investigating the school's role in the events leading up to the shooting. No one's trying to take anybody's right to possess a weapon, but four kids were murdered, seven more were shot, and hundreds and hundreds more, their lives will never be the same. Uh, so I, th I just think it's time we start stop talking about how terrible it is that we have school shootings and look to see what we can do to actually prevent them from happening again. Meanwhile, a community still grieving the death of four teenagers and rallying around those injured in the shootings. The Detroit Lions dedicating its first win of the season to all the victims. This game ball goes to the whole Oxford community. All those were affected. The family of Tate Meir, honored by the University of Michigan during its Big Ten championship game over the weekend, scoring 42 points, the same number Tate wore. And less than 10 miles from here, there's a visitation underway for Tate. His family wrote in his obituary, the 16-year-old who died in the patrol car on the way to the hospital loved the holidays, especially this time of year decorating the Christmas tree with his mom and making Christmas cookies. Dana? Adrian Broaddus, thank you for bringing us part of his story. It's so important and so heartbreaking. Appreciate it. And I want to bring now in the Mich Michigan Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Thank you so much for joining me. So it took almost 12 hours and a ton of resources to find James and Jennifer Crumbly. Would you support additional charges against them, specifically related to the manhunt? I would, but, you know, more than that, I think what the Crumbleys are finding is that they both have very high bonds, which if they would have just turned themselves in in a timely manner, is uh, it's unlikely that they would have $500,000 cash surety bonds. The other thing that could happen is if they're convicted, there are actually additional points that are scored for the obstruction of justice. And so they're likely to get higher sentences uh, and more time in the event that they're convicted because of this. But just to be clear, you do think there should be additional charges based on the manhunt, that they were fugitives? Well, I don't have all of the information, so I think it'd be unfair for me to comment on it. But from what I hear, from what it appears, from the facts is that, that they are known, if there are fugitive of justice um, charges that could be uh, additionally added, it seems like it's appropriate under these sets of circumstances, but that's up to Prosecutor McDonald, and I trust her discretion. What about the man who helped the Crumbleys at the Detroit warehouse? His attorneys say he didn't know what was going on, but should he face charges? Well, again, I just don't have enough information in order to make that assessment. But have I seen cases in the past where there are aiding and abetting uh, a fugitive from justice? 
Uh, charges levied against people, certainly. I charged it as a prosecutor. I defended it as a defense attorney. You mentioned the Oakland County prosecutor. She said that there are additional factors that suggest others may have known the intentions of the suspected gunman. Have you seen any evidence of that? Well, I'm not directly working with her office to the extent that I would know all the information that she has right now. We have provided assistance to the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office um, in the form of of memorandums and research uh, as a, a means of assistance and support. But she has more facts available to her right now than I do. So I'd rather not comment on that. Let me ask just more broadly. It really does seem unprecedented to charge the parents with involuntary manslaughter after the alleged actions of their son. Can you explain why the prosecutor is taking this step there? Well, first of all, it's not unprecedented here in Michigan. Um, does it happen only rarely? Yes. It, it's, it's not um, a frequent occurrence, certainly in our state, but it's happened before. And uh, under circumstances that were not obviously exactly the same, but circumstances where a, an individual uh, who was a gun owner made his, uh, his gun, uh, when I say available, uh, did nothing to secure it. Uh, and that child then took the gun, brought it to school and killed a classmate. And he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. The father was. But really the question is this, were the parents grossly negligent? So was their conduct in this instance so reckless as to demonstrate a a substantial lack of concern uh, for whether or not injury resulted? And so that's the question that the jury uh, is going to have to answer in this case. You mentioned another case that this was, uh, that the gun wasn't securely stored. It appears to be the case here according to the prosecutor. Michigan does not have a so-called safe storage law where gun owners must keep their weapons locked up away from underage kids. Given what we've seen here, could that change? I sure hope so. You know, it's really abhorrent to me that our legislature, at least the Republicans that control both chambers, won't entertain this at all, even though it has wide approval from not just the residents of the state of Michigan, but gun owners of the state of Michigan. I mean, it seems like such a small um, inconvenience to safely store or secure your weapon to get a gun lock, which most police off, uh, departments give away for free, in order to ensure that if you reside in a home where a child lives or is present, that that child cannot have unfettered access to that firearm. Uh, so, you know, the facts as alleged, of course, are very concerning in this incident. And um, as Prosecutor McDonald has indicated, she believed them to be so egregious in nature that she felt compelled to charge involuntary manslaughter. So it's certainly not the first time that it's been charged. But, of course, it's in sparing circumstances that we would see it. Um, but that'll be for a jury to decide. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And up next, Russia's massive military buildup on the border with Ukraine. CNN just spoke with Ukraine's defense minister as he and his country prepare for a potential invasion. In our world lead this afternoon, the White House confirmed a full diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Olympics in Beijing. That means no one from the Biden administration, from the president to diplomats, will attend the Winter Games. They start the first week of February. 
I want to go to CNN's Phil Mattingly, who is at the White House. So, Phil, what reason is the administration giving for this boycott? To send a message, Dana. I don't think there's any way, other way around it that that is the intent here. And that message uh, comes around very significant concerns related to human rights, particularly what the administration has called a genocide in Xinjiang, China, as it relates to Uyghur Muslims. Uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki saying basically at this point it's an indication that it simply can't be business as usual. You can't send a United States delegation to a country where they're alleging genocide at this point in time. Now, it's a key distinction here. This is a diplomatic boycott. The athletes are still going to be participating. The White House is absolutely supporting U.S. athletes uh, that are expected to land in Beijing in a couple of months here. But it is a recognition that in a very complex relationship, one that's really at the center of the Biden administration's foreign policy at this point in time, where tensions have been high in several areas now for pretty much the entirety of the president's time in office, the United States, at least on this specific issue, is intent on sending this message, Dana. And Phil, turning to another adversary of the U.S., Russia, President Biden is scheduled to have a crucial call with Vladimir Putin just in a matter of hours. You have some new reporting on what Biden plans to bring up. Yeah, and before that call, the president is having phone calls with some of the U.S. top allies in Europe. And there's an an explicit reason behind that. They're trying to align both on the messaging side of things, but also on the potential policy options here. And that is what the United States and its uh, top officials have been working on now for several weeks, putting together a sanctions package that the president will lay out in some detail, officials say, to President Putin tomorrow during that video call. This is what will happen if you move forward with a potential invasion of Ukraine or try and and go through their sovereign borders. Now, obviously, there has been conflict between uh, Ukraine and Russia for the better part of seven years at this point. But the troop buildup uh, with the potential to be 175,000 Russian troops, according to U.S. intelligence, has drawn major concern inside the administration over the course of the last several weeks. This phone call highly anticipated, extraordinarily high stakes, where the president is going to make clear uh, to his Russian counterpart that there are options for an off-ramp here. However, if those options aren't taken, sanctions, including potential sanctions on allies of President Putin, uh, sanctions on the energy sector, potential even significant sanctions related to the financial sector are under consideration right now. And it won't just be the U.S. It will also be their European allies, Dana. Phil, thank you so much for that reporting. And ahead of that discussion that Phil was just talking about, Ukraine's defense minister sat down for an exclusive interview with CNN saying he wants President Biden to take an even firmer stance with Vladimir Putin, make it clear that the U.S. will not hesitate to act if Russia moves to invade Ukraine. Still, The defense minister tells CNN's Matthew Chance the support they want does not include sending American soldiers to fight on their front lines. You see that this is empty plates. Yes. And I hope that they will empty forever. Just only these guys. These are the guys that have already lost their lives. These could, could soon be filled. This is the real threat Ukraine now faces. More soldiers dying in battles with Russia, something the country's new defence minister, appointed just a month ago, tells me he's struggling with. In, in Russia, they will have also the same places. For what reason, for what sake, Russians will die? For what? Across the border, the Kremlin calls these its regular winter drills. Ukraine says there are now about 95,000 Russian troops within striking distance. U.S. intel indicates that will rise to 175,000. But even that, the defence minister tells me, is an underestimate. 175, it's not enough. 
to you, go to Ukraine. You think Russia will need more than yes, 175? Yes, sure. How much more is unclear. But these latest satellite images from Russia suggest Moscow is now engaged in an unprecedented build-up near the Ukrainian frontier, enough to mount an overwhelming invasion, alarming the US and NATO, although Ukrainian officials seem calm at what looks like an imminent threat. I would say that the different means that we are not in a fear uh, mood. So we can, we have no chance to be in, on this uh, pushing of this. But you're not fearful of a Russian invasion. Is that because you don't believe the intelligence? That no, you no, don't no, no, believe no, 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 we invade? believe to our intel, we believe to all facts that was uh, fixed by United States intel and etc. But do you but believe this is Russia not the last decision. Do you believe Russia will invade? Uh, I am not believe that, I will not believe that Russia will uh, have a victory in Ukraine. It's a different, because it will be a really bloody massacre. And Russian guys also will come back in the court. Um, there's also a belief in Ukraine that Russia, which denies plans to invade, can, with the help of the United States and its allies, still be deterred. This is the defense minister inducting two new coastal patrol boats from the US into the Ukrainian Navy. Part of a much broader military modernization program Ukraine is trying to carry out with support from the West, angering Moscow. Ukraine's growing ties with NATO and Kremlin demands for NATO expansion to be curbed is set to dominate President Biden's virtual summit with Vladimir Putin of Russia on Tuesday. A crucial online meeting that could determine Ukraine's fate. The US president, the defense minister tells me, should double down on support for Ukraine. If I can advise to President Biden, please, I would like to ask him to very uh, understandable articulate to Mr. Putin that no red lines from Kremlin side could be here. Red line is here in Ukraine and civilized world will react without any hesitation. We don't need the American or Canadian soldiers here to fighting for Ukraine. We will fight by ourselves, but we need modernization of weaponry. We have, we need um, electronic warfare and et cetera, et cetera. The problem with America and NATO and others stepping up their help, their assistance for Ukraine, is that it could potentially provoke the Kremlin even further. It could be poking the bear and force them to, to invade. Is that a concern for you? Do you think that's realistic? The idea, don't provoke Russia, will not work. I'm sure. Why? Because Georgia, Salisbury, Crimea. So you think confrontation with Russia is the only way to stop Russia's malign activity around the world? Uh, it could be not only confrontation, it could be the very, it should be strong, strong position. We are the partners of Ukraine. We will help them in all kinds of ways to do it. And the Kremlin will hear that and it will understand that and it will stop. I'm sure. But it is a high stakes gamble. 
with no guarantee. Such a hard line from the White House to the Kremlin will do anything to force Russia back. Well, Dana, Ukrainian officials are expressing gratitude tonight for the continued strategic support of the United States. President Zelensky of Ukraine tweeting that he had discussions with the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken about the agreed positions before the meeting uh, between President Biden and President uh, Putin uh, goes ahead tomorrow. Nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. That's what he tweeted uh, amid these assurances that, that he will be consulted all along the way. Uh, in these discussions between the U.S. and the Russians. Matthew, what a fascinating and incredibly important interview that you did there. Um, let me also ask you, before I let you go, about sources telling CNN that President Biden is considering sanctions against Putin's inner circle. How are Kremlin sources telling you that they plan to respond? Well, I mean, they're not prepared to, to uh, answer that head on. They've called it, in fact, the Kremlin spokesman today called it information hysteria that there would be any kinds of sanctions imposed on Russia because of this. Remember, Russia denies any plans uh, for having an invasion uh, of Ukraine. But, of course, they must be mindful of the fact that the United States and others in the international community have sanctioned Russia repeatedly for its activities around the world. And, you know, perhaps the threat of the kind of severe sanctions that the United States and its allies are now sort of uh, suggesting they'll impose against, against Russia will give Moscow pause for thought. Matthew Chance, thank you so much for that exclusive reporting from Ukraine. And a top Trump strategist says we're taking over all the elections. Election deniers are making more moves to take control of the vote. That's next. In our politics lead, the January 6th committee says it's postponing Michael Flynn's testimony. The former Trump national security advisor was scheduled to be deposed today about his attempts to try to overturn the election, including a pair of Oval Office meetings. A committee aide tells CNN Flynn has begun to engage with the investigation. But even as the committee ramps up its probe, CNN's Sarah Murray reports supporters of the big lie are looking ahead, positioning themselves for key posts for the next election. As Donald Trump toys with the 2024 run, I think if I decide to run, I'll get it very easily. His supporters, who wrongly believe the 2020 presidential race was stolen, are jockeying for positions to play a more hands-on role in the next election. In Michigan, a microcosm of a strategy Trump allies like Steve Bannon hope to deploy in battleground states nationwide. We're taking over all the elections. In 2020, Wayne County, Michigan briefly spiraled into chaos as Republicans on the bipartisan board of canvassers considered refusing to certify the county election results. They eventually did so. Now those who made wild claims about 2020 are joining those boards in several Michigan counties, like Nancy Tissio, who was appointed to the Macomb County Board of Canvassers this year. In November 2020, she tweeted that Trump should use the Insurrection Act and delay the Electoral College so military tribunals can first be set up to properly investigate fraud claims, and later urged Trump not to concede. Is Nancy Tizio here? Nancy, would you like to speak? Have you had any experience actually working in election as one of the election workers? Um, no, but I actually did help a lot of them. Election officials from both parties stood up to Trump in 2020. But democracy advocates aren't convinced these election skeptics would do the same. What we're seeing is the use of out-and-out -out lies 
spreading across the country to change the way elections are run in this country. Really, the, uh, a global model for how elections should be run is now being undermined uh, and in some cases hijacked. When Trump hoped state legislatures would seat alternate electors and overturn Joe Biden's victory, GOP House and Senate leaders in Michigan refused to go along with the plan. Now State Representative Matt Maddock, a Trump acolyte who tried and failed to put forth alternate electors in 2020, These are the rest of the wants to be the state's next GOP House leader. We've got about uh, a handful of legislators in Michigan that are going to be sending a letter to Vice President Pence today telling him not to certify the Michigan electors. After secretaries of state stood up to Trump's efforts to meddle in the vote, he's backing election deniers like Christina Caramo, who said Trump was the rightful winner in Michigan. They're very excited to get uh, President Trump's endorsement, able to talk to him. He's extremely supportive of me for secretary of state. The former president has also endorsed backers of his false fraud claims running for secretary of state in two other key battlegrounds, Arizona and Georgia. After 18 Republican attorneys general rallied behind a lawsuit to try to upend the 2020 election results, Trump is aiming to tip the scale in those races, too, backing Matthew DiPerno, a purveyor of election misinformation for Michigan Attorney General. By extrapolation and based on other data we've seen from other parts of the state, we can say that there was fraud throughout the state of Michigan. For Democrats like Jocelyn Benson running for re-election as Secretary of State, it's a sign the challenges to democracy are far from over. Everything we have overcome this far was truly just the beginning. And it's not hyperbolic to look at 2020 as a prelude to a much bigger, uh, much more significant challenge to our democracy that is uh, looming ahead of us with the 2024 presidential election. Now, Tissio, Maddock, DiPerno, Caramo either declined our interview request or they didn't respond to our request for comment. For the folks who need to run for office, it's still a little unclear what their path forward is going to look like. A lot of them have Republican primaries to contend with. They then will have a general election. That's true in Michigan. That's true in a number of other states where Trump is sort of support behind people who still believe he was the victor in 2020. We cannot say it loudly and more strongly enough how important reports like you just did are. Uh, because this is, as people have said so many times, it's possible 2020 was really a dress rehearsal Mm -hmm. for what's to come. Thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciate it. And also in our politics lead, the Biden administration is taking aim at Texas once again, this time accusing Republican lawmakers of discriminating against black and Latino voters. Today, the Justice Department filed a lawsuit that says the state's new redistricting plans were specifically designed to have, quote, Anglo voting majorities and dilute the voting strength of minorities. Last month, the DOJ challenged a different Texas state law that imposes restrictions on aid provided to disabled voters at polling locations. And coming up, actor Jesse Smollett accused of faking a hate crime against himself, making this, taking the stand rather in his defense. Details are next. In our national lead right now, former Empire actor Jesse Smollett is testifying in his own defense. Smollett is accused of staging a racist and homophobic attack against himself in 2019, which he has repeatedly denied. CNN's Omar Jimenez is live outside the courthouse in Chicago. So, Omar, Smollett has been on the stand now for more than two hours. What is his defense trying to prove? Yeah, Dennis. So right now the defense is going through piece by piece through some of the prosecution's major points in this case. For example, during the car ride where the Osendero brothers testified, Jesse Smollett first told them 
about this alleged scheme. Justice Smollett testified all he did was drive around and smoke blunts, which he said he did often, sometimes by himself, but also with Bola Osendero, one of the brothers, more times than he can count. And when he was specifically asked by his defense attorney uh, if at any point in time they talked about a hoax, he answered emphatically no. Now, after an alleged hate mail letter was sent to the Empire Studios a week before this alleged attack unfolded, Jesse Smollett said he was offered security but denied it. And to quote him here, he said, I don't need to be driven around like I'm Miss Daisy. And that's important because the prosecution has argued that part of the motivation for creating this alleged scheme was because he didn't believe the show was taking this threat seriously. Also, after that alleged hate letter came through, one of the brothers, Bola Osendero, approached him about doing security for him, which Smollett testified today. But he also said at that point it was more of a running joke, he believed, because he said that he had been approached repeatedly by Bola. And that's important because the defense has argued that this real attack, as they say, came about because Bolo was trying to intimidate him into hiring him for security. So these are the points that are being hammered out right now uh, so far in testimony. The prosecution will likely go right back into these points and press Jussie Smollett on some of what he's testified on so far as part of cross-examination. But this will likely be the last full day of testimony we see until it gets sent into the jurors' hands, Dan. Omar Jimenez, sounds like it could be a very long full day. Appreciate it. <laughs> And up next, how Washington plans to remember a war hero and a giant of the U.S. Senate. I, Robert J. Dole, <laughs> do solemnly swear. Oh. Sorry, wrong speech. That was World War II hero Bob Dole, giant of the Senate and Republican presidential nominee, joking about his 1996 loss to Bill Clinton as he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Clinton just before Inauguration Day 1997. Dole passed away on Sunday at age 98. And this afternoon, we learned that Dole will lie in state in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda on Thursday. Right now, flags are flying at half-staff in honor of Dole following an order from President Biden. I'm Dana Bash, in for Jake Tapper. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 